If, uh, if you are new here, uh, Rob's already said g'day and welcome. Let me say g'day and welcome. Stoked that you're with us tonight. My name's Dave. I'm the youth minister here at St Faith's and at Solis. And uh, we're in a three-week series, the third part of a series called For We Are Young and Free. And it's from a book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes, which is a bunch of observations on life from an old man as he looks back on his life. Uh, the dude's name is Solomon. And this particular book, Ecclesiastes, was written uh, approximately 3,000 years ago. Some of you might be switching off straight away when you know that it's a 3,000-year-old book. But the observations that Solomon makes on the world that he lived in are just as relevant to us today in our world as they were in his world. And so week one, we talked about be stoked while you're young. Enjoy life. Embrace it. But know that youth is temporary. And so last, the first week, the challenge was, remember your creator. Now, while you're still young, before you get old. Last week was a live dog is greater than, better than a dead lion. Quick apology. The life of Pi doesn't have a lion in it. It has a tiger. But it's still a big cat. You get the point. So it still makes sense. What was the point last week? The point last week was, you know, as awesome as a lion is, you're better off being a, an alive dog than a dead lion. And ultimately, death is unavoidable. And so the challenge last week was to live every single day knowing that it is a gift from God, but also to live every single day knowing that the lion, Jesus, isn't dead. And so last week, the challenge was to see that Jesus is alive and that he actually offers life beyond the grave to those who trust in him. And so tonight is our final part of the series. And it's called, uh, the message title tonight is Made for Another World. And I guess the challenge tonight is to see that life is more than what you can see. Things that you can feel. Things that, things that we can see, feel and touch in the world that we live in today. Let me be upfront. The challenge tonight is to live for eternity. To live in view of eternity. Not to live just thinking about the next exam or the next Xbox game or the next whatever, but to actually live in light of eternity. And so that might actually involve for some of you tonight actually becoming a Christian. That's the best way to live in light of eternity. Uh, the last couple of weeks, I've encouraged you to become a Christian if you're not yet a Christian. Tonight, at the end, I'm actually going to invite you to become a Christian if you're not yet a Christian. And tonight might be the night. You might be ready. This might be your time to actually put your trust in Jesus and know that you were made for another world. These are massive things we're going to talk about tonight. So I'm going to pray again and ask that God would really help us to understand, help us to concentrate. Let me pray. Dear God, thanks so much that we can pray. Thank you that you hear us when we pray, and thank you that we can hear you uh, when we open the Bible. Please give us ears now to hear from your word, the Bible, and please help us to take it seriously, help us to be free from distraction, uh, and please change us. That not one person sitting in this room right now uh, would leave unchanged, but that no matter where we're at, that tonight you would change each and every single one of us and help us to live differently in light of eternity. So please be with us now, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
Let me give you a summary of the story of your life. It's got four points. If you take notes, these are really important points to write down. Number one, you're born. Number two, you're young and free. Number three, you're old and crusty. Number four, you're dead. There's the story of your life. Welcome to Solis. Sometimes people skip step three. They don't get to the old and crusty bit. But that's it. Simple four points of what life is. The story of your life. Is that it though? Is that really all that life consists of? You know, isn't life much more than just being young, being born, being young, being old, and then being dead? Have you ever thought about the question before? You know, is there more to life than what you can just simply see, feel, and touch here and now? Is there more to life than the things that you do day after day after day? Is there more to life than getting a job one day? Is there more to life than one day having to pay bills? Is there more, than, more, is there more to life than these things? You see, life can be filled with lots of really cool stuff, but even when you've got lots of cool stuff, life can be full of frustration, full of dissatisfaction, full of discontentment. Have you ever felt that? Frustrated with life? Even young people, you, I know you feel frustrated at times with life. I know that young people on the northern beaches regularly feel frustrated with life. And when you get frustrated, you go, there's just got to be more. Have you felt that before? Have you thought that before? You see, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon makes some observations that kind of bring out something of a frustration. And he makes observations on life and What I want you to notice in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, grab a Bible out, open Bible.com on your phone if you don't have a Bible in front of you. Make sure you can see one. But in Ecclesiastes, bring your Bibles every week. Paper ones are awesome, but electronic ones are okay too. Solomon makes some observations about life. I'm going to start reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. And it says this. If you haven't got it yet, just keep looking. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. There is a time for everything. There is a season for everything. What he's about to do is likewise give us a snapshot on life. Have a look at the list from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 2 and following. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Some really cool things in there as you read through those lists. There's some great things in there that I'm sure that if they were in your life, you would love your life. But at the same time, there's also terrible things that are in there. For all the positive things in there, 
the positive parts of life, there's also a whole bunch of negative parts of life. And did you kind of pick up the pattern on the way through? Life just kind of rolls on through. Life really is out of our control. You're born, and then life just kind of just happens. And ultimately, you don't have control over your birth. You had no say in your birth. And ordinarily, we have no say in our death. There is a time for everything. And there's little that you can do to stop it from happening, to stop that momentum of life being here for a moment and then gone. You know, at first, as you read that, it's a fairly famous poem from the Bible. As you read that poem, you know, it seems really nice and poetic, but it's pretty depressing. It's pretty much just an extended version of of my four-point summary of your life. You're born, you're young and free, you're old and crusty, you're dead. Uh, That's pretty much what it's saying there in chapter 3, verse 2 to verse 8. But it gets more depressing a couple of paragraphs further down. Have a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 18. It says, I also thought, as for men... God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. Remember that word meaningless keeps coming up. It's talking about temporary. Here for a moment, then gone. Verse 20. All go to the same place. All come from dust And to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of the man rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? Yeah, she catch the drift of what he's saying. It's kind of so, well, hey, if we all die, what makes us any different from from animals? You You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. What makes us any different from every other mammal? Every other animal. Are we just another animal? Are you no different from a cockroach? Or a worm? Or a goldfish? Or a hyena? Or a cobra? That'd be cool to be a cobra. Or an ant? Or a, or a platypus? Like, are we any different from any other animal? We come from dirt, and to dirt we will return. And so is that the end of the matter? Is that it? You're just like an animal. You'll die one day and go back to dirt one day, just like an animal. Well, that would be the end of the matter if we only read the bits that we've read in there. But as we keep reading, what we actually see is that the answer is that we are much more than animals. We do have significance. We do have value. Maybe you haven't heard that before. You have significance. You are of value. Every single person in here. In the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, it says that we were created in the image of God. Out of everything that God made, He made people in a special way. He made people in His image. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it tells us that God has set eternity in our hearts. God has set eternity in our hearts. Have a look at it. Chapter 3, verse 11. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You hear what it's saying? God has 
put something pretty unique inside us that he didn't put inside the platypus or the worm. God has set eternity within our hearts. Eternity is wired into us when we were manufactured. That's kind of how we were made. We were made with eternity in us. Yet often, we, we, don't quite, we don't quite grasp what that means. The last part of the verse, there, we, we can't quite fathom what that means. But God has placed eternity in our hearts. What it means is that there is a God-shaped hole in everyone. There's a God-shaped hole. There's a vacuum within everyone that is supposed to be filled by God and things of eternity. Yet what do we do? We try to fill it with all sorts of other things. We try to fill it with all sorts of other things of this world, other pursuits, and we leave God out. And like a, a circle trying to go into a triangle, it's kind of the wrong shape. We leave God out of the picture and we stuff all sorts of other things into us. But none of those things bring us satisfaction. None of those things bring the satisfaction that knowing God brings. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but you were made to know God. You know, some of the themes in the song that we just heard. You were made to know God. You were made to know Him. You have eternity set within you. Have a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men, and He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away. God does it so that men will revere him. You know, kind of in, the, in that paragraph there, we, we know that there's more to life. We know that time is bigger than now. We can actually get frustrated in our toil, frustrated in our food, frustrated in our drink. Eternity is in our hearts, which is supposed to be filled by God. Did you notice that last little bit there in verse number 14? God does it so that men, so that people will revere him. As we live our lives in this world, as we find things that are dissatisfying, we're supposed to fear God, revere him, treat him as God. Recognize that we were made by him and for him. That is our job in this world, is to revere God and know that the God-shaped hole that is within every person is to be filled only by God. That God-shaped hole is not to be filled by food or by drink or by friends or music or sex or work or school or anything. You see, anytime we try to find satisfaction in the things of this world, it will ultimately let us down. Even when we do find satisfaction, it won't last for eternity. Two years ago, Rowena and I brought our very first television. We've been married for almost 10 years and it took us a while to get one. It was a pretty good one. And we didn't want some ridiculously massive one that was going to fall over and kill one of our kids. And, but what we got was still pretty big. Picture this. I'm in Dick Smith at the mall. I pay for the TV at the register. Then I start pushing the trolley out of the store. But as I'm walking out, I stop. 
to look at a display. Oh, look at this TV. Look how much bigger it is. And it's not that much more expensive. Maybe I can take this one back and get the bigger one and the better one. I hadn't even left the shop yet. I hadn't even taken the wrapping off yet. Hadn't plugged it in and tried to work out where the channels were. I hadn't done any of that yet. And already I'm discontent with the purchase that I've got, which is an incredible television. Already I start thinking, well, maybe I need something more. Maybe I need something a little bit bigger, a little bit better, a little bit more high definition or whatever it might well be. You see, this is our experience of life. We get great things. We live, in, we live in the cushiest place in the world. We live in Australia. We live in Sydney. We live in the swankiest part of Sydney. We've got heaps of sweet stuff, heaps of cool stuff, heaps of good things, and yet we're still not happy. Now you've got the iPhone 5 and you're already on Apple.com looking out for when the iPhone 6 is coming. I need the next one. I need the next one. I need the next one. You know, you've just had the best surf you've ever had in your life. Caught the best barrels you've ever caught in your life, and you... You search for more. It was good, but I want something even better. I want something even hollower. I want something even more gnarly. I don't know if anyone uses the word gnarly these days, but it's an old person's word. We've got great things, but we're still not happy. You see, the problem is, what we are trying to do is fill the God-shaped hole with things that aren't God. And so what are the things in your life that you are trying to find satisfaction, not just satisfaction, but ultimate satisfaction in? You know it straight away. The thing that you're pursuing, the girl that you're pursuing, the boy that you're pursuing, the possession that you're pursuing, the popularity that you're pursuing, the whatever it is, what's that thing that you long for, that thing that you are looking to find ultimate satisfaction in? Just think about it. It might be something that's bad, but who knows a bad thing that you shouldn't desire at all. But it might be something that's good. That's actually a good and appropriate thing. But whatever it is, even if it does bring satisfaction, it'll only be for a time. It will not last. You will want an upgrade. Life will get hard. Life will get tricky. Now, how good was that song that we heard sung? Yeah, who enjoyed it? Yeah? It's good. It's by um, Brooke Fraser. Uh, check out Brooke Fraser. She has some awesome music. We sing some of her songs uh, at Soli's as well, some of her worship songs. But, but the song was called C.S. Lewis Song. Creative name for a song. Uh, basically, she's got a whole bunch of quotes from a book of C.S. Lewis's called Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis is the, dude, the Narnia dude. He also wrote some other books as well. But uh, the, the, there's going to be a quote that will pop up on the screen. It went out on Twitter today or Instagram or whatever that thing's called. But here's, here's a quote. Follow along with me. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Do, do you get what he's saying? When you live your life in this world and work out that even the really good things in your life don't bring that deep and lasting satisfaction that you were hoping for, what's his probable conclusion, explanation? I wasn't made for this world. I was made for another world. I don't know if you've thought about that before, but you were not made for here. You were not made for planet Earth. You weren't made for any other planet either. You do not belong to this world. 
The reason why perhaps there's times you feel discontent. The reason why perhaps there's times you feel frustrated. The reason why perhaps there's times that you feel dissatisfied is because you weren't made for this world. You weren't made for here. You were made for eternity. You were made to be with God for eternity. God has set eternity in your heart. And He is the one to fill that void. He is the one that's to dwell there. He is the one who you are to live for. And so we've kind of kicked off this series a couple of weeks ago talking about young and free. You know, embrace youth while you're a youth. Because one day you'll get old. One day you'll die. Well, here's the good news of Christianity. The good news of the Bible is that you can actually live for eternity. You can actually be forever young. And so how do you get to live for eternity? How do you get to be forever, forever young? Well, we all will live for eternity. The question is not whether you will live for eternity. The question is where you will spend eternity. Do you know how long eternity goes for? Forever. That's kind of the point. It's eternal. It just keeps on going. Our lives, we may live 80 80 years in this world. We, We may not have that many years in this world. Eternity is oh so much longer than the short time that we have here on this earth like this. And so the question is, where will you spend eternity? Will you spend it with God as one of his people? Or will you spend it apart from God? Where will you spend eternity? Do you know where you will spend eternity? If your life were to end tragically in the next week, do you know where you would go? Do you know whether it would be with God or, with, or apart from God? And the problem at this point is that we've actually all got a problem. None of us actually deserve to live for eternity with God. Have a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 15. Whatever it is has already been and whatever and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. God is going to call the past to account. God is going to hold us accountable for what we've done in our story, in our life, in our history. It goes on, verse 16. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the wicked, righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. You see what we're saying? We're going to be called to an account. God will bring everything under judgment. We had a verse like this in the first week from chapter 12. You will be held accountable for how you have lived. How do you feel about that? You might be able to hide stuff from your parents. You might be able to hide stuff from your internet history. You might be able to hide stuff from your teachers. You might be able to hide stuff from your youth leaders. You might be able to hide stuff from your your family, your your brother, your sister. You might be able to hide stuff from all sorts of different people. But you can't hide from God. He sees everything that you have said, thought and done. Nothing escapes his vision. Nothing escapes his eye. And so we've got a problem in that the fact that we will be held to an account for our history, 
is bad news because all of us have blown it in some way with how we've lived in God's world. We've failed to revere Him. We've failed to honour Him. We've failed to live for Him and in light of eternity. Quickly turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 29. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 29 says this, This only have I found. God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. Back up at verse 20. There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. God made us good, but what have we done? We've gone after schemes. We failed to honour him. We are not righteous. We are not good people. You see, the Bible says that every single one of us here, every single person throughout history has sinned, is the word the Bible uses. What's sin? Well, sin is kind of two things. Sin is rule-breaking and rule-making. Sin is rule-breaking when we fail to do what God wants us to do, when we fail to live the life that he would have us, when we break his rules. But it's also rule-making when we try to run life our own way, as if we're God. We're going to shake our puny little fists and say, God, you're not God. I'm going to be God. That's what every single one of us have done. We sin as we break his rules and as we make up our own rules. And the Bible says again and again and again that all therefore deserve to be judged by God for our sin. This is terrible news. This is awful. But the good news of Christianity is that Christianity comes with good news. The good news of Jesus is that Jesus comes bearing good news. What's the good news? It's Jesus. Jesus is good news. You see, Jesus is the only one of whom it could be said in all of history that he was without sin, that he lived the perfect life. He always lived for God. Well, he is God. He's fully God, but he's also fully man, and he lived the perfect life. In 1 Corinthians 15, it'll pop up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, it says this, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. You see, right here in 1 Corinthians 15, we have good news for people who have sinned. Do you see what it said? It says Jesus, verse 3, died for sin. Jesus died on the cross in our place to take our sin. Jesus died for our sin. He was buried. But Jesus also then was raised again three days later. He appeared to people. He was definitely alive. People saw him. People ate with him. People touched him. He was raised again. And here's the really cool thing. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20. It should also be on the screen. It says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in its own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Here's the really good news. Not only has Jesus died, but Jesus has been raised again. He's conquered the grave. And Jesus' resurrection, get this, why is the resurrection of Jesus important? Jesus' resurrection from the grave guarantees our resurrection from
from the grave. Do you see Jesus was described as the first fruits? What's that mean? It's kind of farming language, but we kind of see it every summer season. At the start of the summer season, there's always a box of mangoes. And they always go on sale and they get sold to a charity for $50,000 or something like that. No, they don't get sold to a charity. Someone buys them and the money goes to a charity. And that's kind of the first fruits of the mango season. Who likes mangoes? Mangoes are amazing. That first box. That first box of delicious, juicy mangoes is the first fruits of the many, 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 many boxes of delicious juicy mangoes for that summer season. You see, Jesus is our first fruits. Even though we don't deserve to be raised again, we can live with God forever. Why? Because Jesus was first raised. We simply trust that when Jesus lived, he lived and obeyed God on our behalf. When Jesus died, he died on the cross on our behalf. He took what we deserve. And when he rose again, we trust that he does actually promise that we will be raised. We will have life forever, eternal life. Now, this really is the coolest thing. This really is the most amazing thing. If you trust in Jesus, if you give your life to Jesus now, You will live with him forever. This might be your first night here or you might have been coming here for years, but you've never got that point. If you trust in Jesus, if you give your life to him, he has taken away your sin. He has been raised again and he guarantees that you will be raised again, that you will be made alive with him, that you will spend eternity in God's presence as God's friend. In that perfect place. Arthur Stace is a dude who was born in the 1880s and died in the 1960s. Arthur Stace was known as Mr. Eternity. He was an alcoholic dude, he was an illiterate dude who became a Christian, and his life was radically turned upside down. Soon after he became a Christian, it's Barnabas in Broadway. Uh, it's down in the city. It's, still, it's not still there. It burnt down a couple of years ago. They've just rebuilt the church there. But he heard a sermon not long after he was converted and became a Christian. And here's a quote from the sermon. Listen carefully. Eternity. Eternity. I wish that I could sound or shout that word to everyone in the streets of Sydney. You've got to meet it. Where will you spend eternity? He heard that quote. From that preacher. And so for the next 35 years, Arthur Stace got up at 5am before anyone was awake and went around the city, went around the outer suburbs and he sketched in copper plate writing the word eternity on footpath after footpath after footpath. People didn't see him doing it. People didn't see him because he got up so early to do it. And it's estimated that in 35 years between when he became a Christian and when he died in his older age, he wrote it some 500,000 times on footpaths around Sydney. You may not have been alive, but in the year 2000 on the Harbour Bridge, it said, Eternity, 
at the New Year's Eve celebrations in that font, in that handwriting. Now, this guy is a guy that had an impact across the whole of Sydney and echoed on beyond then. He was a dude who was living in light of eternity. He knew where he was going to spend eternity. And so by simply writing the word eternity on the footpath, he wanted people to think about eternity. And where is it that they will spend eternity? Where is it that you will spend eternity? Are you living now in light of eternity? You only live once is not true. You do actually live twice. Are you ready for eternity? Because it's only those who trust in Jesus that will live and enter heaven, be part of God's kingdom. Those that reject Christ, those that don't trust in him, will be shut out. They'll be raised to eternal death. They'll be raised in hell, where it's not good. If you're a Christian, now I'm aware I'm speaking to the majority of people here, you at least claim to be Christian. Live for eternity now by living for Jesus now. And spend between now and when you go to be with Jesus, pointing others to eternity, challenging others to consider where they will be for eternity. Whether that's with chalk on the street, whether that's with your words in your class, whether that's by living a godly life, whether that's one day being a missionary, whether that's one day being a youth group leader, whether that's one day, whatever it is, spend your life pointing others to eternity. Show that you are living not for here and now, but for eternity, which is to come. But look, if you're not a Christian, start tonight living in light of eternity. Become a Christian. Stop living for yourself and the things just here and now that are ultimately dissatisfying. And start living for Jesus. It really is the best decision you'll ever make. If you're a Christian, you are stoked to be a Christian. If you're not yet a Christian, become one. It really will be the best decision you will ever make in your life. To follow Jesus, not just now, but for all of eternity. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. It's a prayer if you've been around Solis for a bit. You would have prayed prayers like this before. It's called a sorry, thanks, please prayer. This is a prayer that I reckon every single Christian should start every single day with. Not the exact words, but the the tone and the responding to God by saying, sorry God for my sin. Sorry that I've rejected you. Sorry that I've failed to live for you. And thanks. Thanks God for Jesus. Thank you for what he did on the cross. Thank you that he offers me forgiveness. Thank you that he rose again. And then please, please God, help me to live for Jesus. Help me to trust in Jesus. Please change me that Jesus would be my ruler. Please change me that I would live in light of eternity. I just want you to think for the next 30 seconds about where you're at with eternity, about where you're at with Jesus, about where you're at with all this stuff. I reckon there's four types of people here. Number one are those who are Christian and are already living for eternity. That's you. Keep living for eternity. Keep living for eternity. Continue pointing others to Jesus and the life he offers for eternity. Group number two are those that are here right now who are Christian, but you know you're not living for eternity. You're just living for stuff here and now. And you might claim to be a Christian, but you don't really take it seriously. And so the challenge for you tonight is to fix your eyes on Jesus and start living with your eyes fixed on eternity.
Start pointing other people to eternity. The third group of people are those who aren't Christian. You know you're not living in light of eternity. The challenge for you is right now to become a Christian. If you've heard enough, whether that's from tonight, whether that's from the last few weeks, whether that's from years and years of hearing about Jesus, if you're not yet a Christian and you're ready to, start from today to live for eternity. Become a Christian today. And the fourth group of people are those who aren't Christian, or you're just not sure, you're uncertain, you've still got questions. The challenge for you is to keep asking questions, is to keep checking out Jesus, keep coming to Solis and keep learning about him and why he came. You've got the four types of people. Those who are already living for eternity, I want you to pray this prayer. Uh, those who are Christian, but you kind of need to recommit yourself to living for eternity, I want you to pray this prayer. For those who aren't yet Christian and want to become Christian, do it tonight. Don't put it off. You may not have another night. Become a Christian tonight. And group number four, I don't want you to pray um, this prayer right now, but I do want you to keep coming to silence. Those who are still unsure, those who have still got questions. And here's how we're going to do it. If, just think for a moment where you're at. Whether you, um, in particular, whether you need to recommit yourself to living for eternity and living for Jesus, or whether you need to become a Christian for the first time. And here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pray a prayer, a sorry, thanks, please prayer. And I want you, if you know that you are a Christian but aren't really living for eternity, so group number two, I want you to um, just pop your hand up right where you are right now as we pray this prayer. So those who, aren't, who are Christian but want to recommit themselves to following Jesus, just pop your hand up in the air right now. Straight up. Okay, I'm also going to invite those who... Um, there's a couple of people with their hand up. Brilliant. Uh, I want to invite anyone who is not a Christian and wants to become a Christian, likewise, to pop your hand up in the air. Okay, with everyone with their eyes closed and their ba- heads bowed, um, those that um, did put their hand up um, in particular, I want you to pray this, but also group one. Let's pray together. I'll leave a little gap. You can echo it in your head and your heart. Uh, Dear God, I am sorry for my sin. I am sorry for ignoring you. Thanks for sending Jesus to die for me so I may be forgiven. Thanks that you rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen. Amen. Hey, it's seriously good news. There's a few people that put their hand up. We want to rejoice with them. And uh, a big cheer. A big cheer. Yeah. Seriously, um, seriously good news. Here's what I want you to do. If you actually did put your hand up as a group two or group three, if you're in junior crew, in a moment when we split for the next 40 minutes, uh, I want you to come and speak to me now if you're in junior crew, year seven, eight, and nine. I'm going to go upstairs where you guys are going. I want you to come and speak to me now. I want to give you a gift, and I want to pray with you again. 
If you're in senior crew, year 10, 11 or 12, I want you to come and see me uh, kind of at 9.30 just as we finish off at the end of the night. And so leaders, if you can help make that happen, uh, I've got a gift for people who've responded tonight and I want to pray with you again and encourage you again. But uh, Rob's going to um, segue the next bit.